0: Hi, I'm Karen Crossley, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream. In this podcast, we introduce you to thought leaders who are shaping the lives of the next generation to discuss the challenges and innovation influencing higher education and how we can adapt to give students a strong foundation for their futures. Today, we are talking to Dr. Mary Darden, President and CEO of Higher Education Innovation, LLC an independent company with a mission to research, study, and provide entrepreneurial training for higher education leaders to help their institutions thrive. With more than two decades of higher education administration experience, Dr. Darden has shepherded several innovative changes, led community outreach, and increased enrollment from external partnerships. Dr. Darden holds a doctorate in higher education administration and leadership from Baylor University. She is the author of two books, and in her recent book, Entrepreneuring the Future of Higher Education, Radical Transformation in Times of Profound Change, she outlines a plan that all universities and colleges can take advantage of to secure their futures, even in the face of major crises. It has received several recognitions and awards, such as the winner of the 2021 American Book Fest in Education and Academics, and is listed as one of the top 58 best university books of all time by book authority. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Darden. Thank you for including me on the podcast. With your impressive out-of-the-box experience in higher administration and leadership, what challenges and growth opportunities were you seeing in traditional higher education that led you to start higher education innovations?
1: There are so many challenges. I mean, we all know that higher education is in trouble. It's facing really a crisis a severe crisis along with that i mean we've seen the the crisis spans across all institutions pretty much and across pretty much all areas within each institution Um, so it's a massive crisis that's requiring transformation but the good news is that it brings with it just a huge amount of opportunity Uh, this is a time when we can totally reinvent ourselves. So I see it as a time of hope. I see it as creative, energetic time. So I'm trying to embrace it, embrace the change. And then we are trying to find the ways that in fact, we can make critical mass changes within the institutions that we work with, and hopefully across higher education at large.
0: I really love the the concept of trying to reinvent ourselves, especially in an industry or in a in a, a field that is so mired in tradition the mission of HEI is to transform the higher education. So how does your company do that? Who are your clients and uh, why do they seek your help? We
1: start with the leadership. Our mentors that we've worked with over the years have said, we have to have the leadership that not only has the education, the background, but they have the knowledge and the tools to be able to transform so we're looking at for transformative leaders that also can use new tools the new tools that we see more often in silicon valley we need to be able to what we say entrepreneur we help people uh, at hei by teaching leaders how to do this we give them the tools for their tool bag give them the theories we give them a lot a lot of this stuff comes from business and industry things that. They've known for a long time. Some of it's new, but it's it's really very new to higher education because um, higher education has been that kind of Titanic, just sailing across the ocean, um, unchanging, not nimble, not not spinning on a dime. We are probably traumatizing higher education a little bit, but in a necessary way. We believe that um, of course, in the theory of disruption, which is Clay- Clayton Christensen from Harvard, his uh, theory that he developed, we not only believe that that has happened and continues to happen, but we also believe that we need to become our own disruptors. That we need to disrupt ourselves in order to be successful. So we try to to start with the leadership. We start with presidents and vice presidents and deans of colleges mostly, and champion administrators, and uh, we give them the tools and we help them. And of course we use the book, which I know you'll talk about. So,
0: so of, of course we wanted to talk about the book uh, here at Degree Insurance. It's, we're part of trying to entrepreneur the future of higher education, but also it goes back to what you were talking about of having that self-reflection and being able to say, how, how can we disrupt ourselves? So the subtitle of your recent book is Radical Transformation in Times of Profound Change. So how would you define profound change in higher education and what types of conversations should we be having right now to prepare for that future?
1: The higher education is traditionally uh, an entity that that is operated with cuts and tweaks. The president may come in and say, OK, we're we're over budget. We everybody needs to cut their budget 10 percent or we make slight tweaks here and there. Every now and then we'll centralize, and then we'll decentralize, and then we may centralize again. So there are some traditional changes that have been made, and those are not nearly enough uh, to ensure success for the future. So what we're talking more about is we need to really reimagine who we are. We need to make some radical changes as far as maybe completely changing focus on what we do. Perhaps it's in what we offer, we can no longer be all things to all people. We used to be like all things to our region. We were a regional college or or university and, or state university. And we tried to offer a little of everything so that people could take just about anything. But we don't live in a regional market anymore. We live in a global market. So we have to adapt to that. We have to be able to compete on a global market in many ways. So we have to develop our niches figure out how to fine-tune and and build those so that they're marketable on a broader scale Um, we need to cut out some of the stuff that already too many people are offering too much of that aren't really relevant for the future and relevancy is is huge for us as well so transformation it includes programming it includes the way we operate it includes more revenue streams Um, we traditionally have depended on tuition and donors for our revenue, but for supporting the platform or the foundation of higher education, revenue stream producing uh, institutes, um, intellectual property partnerships with business and industry patents. We've got to develop those because the number one reason that institutions close is because of money, but there are a lot of reasons underlying that financial challenge that we have to dig into and, and resolve. Um, we have to change how we do recruiting and admissions.
0: One of the things that I would like to to go back and touch on is the alternative revenue streams that you were speaking of. So you shared a little bit about what those alternative revenue streams would look like. How would a uni- university and institution go about trying to start one of those things or, or start one of those streams or even improve the one, ones that they currently have?
1: That is an essential step that everybody must do. Um, let's take an example from that list. Let's talk about partnerships. Um, the way that's done and done well is that we have to get out and ask the questions. We have to go to business and industry and government, and we have to ask them, what do you need? We don't need to be producing what we think they need, which we higher ed's been really good at doing that, trying to guess and thinking, well, I think people need this. Well. We no longer live in a time where we can determine that. We really need to get out there and ask the questions and say, what do you need for your people to be totally prepared for them to be successful in the workplace? We can see from the massive default rates on student loans that we haven't been great at that. So getting out and asking the questions and then creating exactly what they need. They tell us what they need. We create it and we test it with them and say, is this it? Did we hit the mark? Do we need to change it? And that's one example. Having that interaction, asking the questions, building the relationship, and trying to serve more than just our field, our discipline, but serving society.
0: That's a really great point, looking outside yourself, the self-reflection, kind of the self-scouting of how we need to improve. So speaking about that, is, is that your definition of entrepreneuring education? Does it go deeper into that conversation? How how would one university or an institution move towards a culture of entrepreneurship?
1: Well, they need to really break outside the mold and reach out and be relational. Relational, But I also have a definition that I wrote for entrepreneuring because, you know, people often ask me, they say, what exactly does that mean? It involves a lot of things. And so I'm going to read to you this definition. Entrepreneuring is a combination of mission based, creative, holistic, systematic, strategic and continuing process oriented initiatives, frequently involving high levels of innovation, change and risk in order to achieve greatly improved institutional economic operational social and cultural environments through the often bold actions of individuals and or groups of individuals within the institution
0: it's a it's a full radical overhaul
1: absolutely and and that's really the big message is this isn't something that we can do with a light hand and by not using a light hand, I don't mean that we have to come in heavy-handed and, and, you know, pound this into existence. It's something that just has to be more than the usual minor tweaks that we have done in the past. It's It's got to be much, much more than that. Um, but it can also be a wonderful thing. We have seen wonderful creative, I mean, most of the news is that when you do this, it is a great thing. People are happier. They're more creative. They're more invested in what's going on. You're helping students more. It just changes the climate altogether. Whereas if you hang on to the past and cling to it, then you're really hanging on to something that's that's going down the tubes. So we've got to be able to create something anew from what, what was before.
0: And going along with that and in going along with your clients and what you're trying to teach them to do with this larger change, what kinds of qualities are you looking for or trying to teach the leaders so that they can innovate sooner to kind of give them that permission and what happens to those who can or, or don't make those innovative changes?
1: Well, with organizational change, change equals stability. And that's one thing that we talk about a lot that if you are not changing and changing significantly, you are becoming more and more unstable. And what will happen to those people in a nutshell is they're gonna die. Those institutions are gonna die. We're gonna see more and more institutions closing um, when the CARES funds run out this next next, uh, fiscal year. We're gonna see more and more institutions closing and merging. The best plan is if you know you're going to close, get a plan ahead of time and, and do a good merge. Marlborough College was a good example of this. You can do this well, but you have to be prepared. If you're not willing to make the radical change, you just need to start packing your bags because you're not going to live through it. Now, we've gone far too long resting on our laurels and just living in our ivory tower, and uh, we've got to start embracing the new models that have been embraced in, in business and industry for some time and become those innovative leaders. So we have to teach our leaders to be innovation engineers, basically. Uh, we need to teach them the tools of of innovation so that they can go in and do something that's going to actually work and is going to be something that they will be as low risk as possible. There's going to be risk, but The risk of not doing anything is the greatest risk of all.
0: To what extent do you feel like institutions can do this internally or do you feel like they need to be looking at external partners, third parties to come in and help with the innovation, help kickstart that? Do you think that uh, it's possible that they can start doing this internally?
1: Yes, I do. I think that um, it depends on the institution and the leadership. If they have a transformational leader, a president who gets it and knows how to do innovation, um, and they have a good team of people that are very capable and that also get it, they buy in and they lean into the whatever the plan the president has for the future, then I think that they can do a lot of this themselves. That's one reason why I wrote the book. So I could share that information with as many people as possible there are going to be many that can take that information and run with it and just and do it themselves. But on the other hand, we've seen that there are a number of institutions that need some help with it as well, which you know we also do. We help to coach them through the process. Um, a lot of these institutions are going through so much change. It's almost all they can handle just to cope with the change, uh, let alone orchestrate everything and design everything. Mm. And of course, we base everything on research. So, um, And that's what's in the book, is the research that we've done, what we've found, what works, what doesn't work, what's most broken and has to change. So that information is there so that people have that to go by. And they can start there. And many, many people can probably do this all on their own.
0: Using the book as a guideline.
1: Yes. We try to share our research and what we know has made a huge difference. And you know what's causing failure. You know why are people failing? Why are institutions failing? That really helps a lot to give them some kind of um, foundation to stand on and say, "Okay, we we know we've got to deal with these things."
0: So, as as you know, this podcast is called uh, "Rebuilding the American Dream," and we like to ask every guest, "What does the American Dream mean to you?"
1: The American Dream. I believe I'm living it. It's having the op- the freedom first of all and the opportunity to do almost anything that you're called to do it's having that choice and that freedom to to move forward not just for yourself and for for society for the nation for the world let's talk the world in a global society You know we need to be um, sharing the american dream across the globe so that people in third world countries have that freedom and opportunity that we enjoy and higher education is the big game changer when people get higher degrees of education that they thrive and their income goes up i mean there's a very clear correlation between number of degrees and income, which is just one one measurement. But we also know that if we're going to end poverty in the world, if we're going to end hunger in the world, that providing an education for people to reach forward for their dreams is the answer. And we need to help. Other countries do this as well as ourselves. But first, we've got to get our own act together. So,
0: Hence, rebuilding the American dream. Right. So what advice would you give to young people contemplating college and those who are contemplating their futures more generally?
1: That is actually one of the most joyful things I get to do. When I was a campus dean, I had many students come into my office saying, Dr. Darden, I I just don't have any idea what I want to do or what I'd be good at and they need to get to know themselves you know they need to understand what their own gifts and talents are first and foremost what are they specially gifted in where is their joy where do they find fulfillment and i always tell my students that when you find that you're going to know that's going to be the start of the path and i said another thing you need to know is that there is never going to be a paycheck that will be large enough to be greater than the joy that you will find from following the path that you are gifted and talented and called to. So find that path, follow it, and you will know true joy. So I, I would say that that is the most critical step for any individual to take. And then hopefully they can find that educational path. Higher education is more diverse now than it ever has been. And it's going to be much, much more so in in the future, more specializations, more niche development. And so matching up with the right institution and the right program, that's going to take you to your highest level in that field or that calling that you have, but you need to do your research, do your homework and find that match. And then the sky's the limit.
0: I think that's great advice for anybody at any age, right? Find your joy. And then you'll find the the real passion and hope for the future. Could you tell us a little bit more about where we can find your book, Entrepreneuring in the Future of Higher Education?
1: Okay, yes. Um, you can access the book through pretty much any book vending company, Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble. Um, it's actually available all over the world at probably 100 different sites. The book just won the American Book Fest Award and we're really excited about that. It was the winner for education and scholarly books. So we were thrilled to hear that and it has been um, well-received and well-reviewed. So it's easy to access almost anywhere.
0: Thank you so much, Dr. Darden. It's been a real pleasure speaking with you.
1: Thank you, it's been my pleasure and I hope we'll visit again soon.
0: You've been listening to me, Karen Crossley of Degree Insurance, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream. Find out more on our website, americandream.fm, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Degree Insurance. Until next time, goodbye.